totally football show on a post-European buzz. City roll up at Spurs' new joint but look blunted. Pep streams take a big hit. Kane by now is getting chronic, while United struggle with top seeds and Juve get their draw in Amsterdam. We have a good think about all that, then get proper excited about all the weekend's action around the world of football. It's all in the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. In the pod today, listener, Tom Williams. Lovely Good morning, you, James. Tom. Quite literally speaking football. Uh, yes, indeed. Which Quite. Is, you know, I'm just yeah, I see, that, see what you've Do done you? there. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Also, voice of Chelsea, Matt Davis-Adams. Hi, that's me. And hardest working man in podcasting, James Horncastle. This one's a totally <laughs> football show, yeah? <laughs> Thanks, James. Uh, I should point out that James has basically not slept since when? Last Saturday? It's just been football 24 hours a day. Yeah, I'm still high on Ajax's supply, though, James. Bang. Very much so. All right, nice one. And I think we'll be having a little visit from Raphael Honigstein later on as well. How exciting is that? Here's an easy one from uh, listener Adam Jones to kick things off. Given that it is only half-time in the Champions League quarterfinals, who do the panel think are looking the most impressive? Well, I think I know your answer, James Horncastle. Yeah, I think they're the most exciting team in Europe at the moment, and that's Ajax. Keep delivering. Tom? Yeah, I mean, Ajax are the story, aren't they? They're the sensation this season. I think over the over the four games, Liverpool have been the most impressive in the sense that their tie looks to be halfway towards being put to bed. But then you'd also say that they had the, the easiest draw, so that's mm. that's a factor as well. Matt? I think Ajax are definitely the story. I'm not sure there's actually been one standout team so far. Um, I quite like Juventus. I mean, obviously... Not maybe at their best last night, but but managed to get the goal. I think they'll they'll take some stopping this year. Interesting. Okay. Well, we'll do Juve against War Rocket Ajax later on. But uh, let's begin, shall we? Our Champions League roundup with Tuesday night's absolute banger at the brand new Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. W- what an enjoyable game! And from a neutral perspective, how great was it that uh, Hugo Lloris saved that that Aguero penalty? Yeah, not least because had he not, we would have ended up talking about VAR and uh, interpretations of the handball rule even more than we did. Um, but with Lloris saving the penalty, it made it a, a bit of a moot point. Um, and yeah, fantastic performance by Tottenham. Uh, well-deserved victory. I thought City were were quite disappointing. Um, and, you know, we've seen this from City this season, this this desire to try and contain games rather than just go all out and, and dominate their opposition as we're used to them seeing. Um and it does raise the question of whether Pep Guardiola was guilty of overthinking things right. in the Champions League again, which is something that has happened in the past. Yep. Um, and you looked at the team selection, the fact that Kevin De Bruyne and Leroy Sané not only started on the bench, but didn't even come on till the 89th minute. Uh, and you were left scratching your head a little bit. Right. Well, this was very much conventional wisdom afterwards. It's another Pep Guardiola Euro brain fart. Uh, He's got precedent here, as, as as Tom says. Do you feel that his squad selection, his approach to the game was so wrong, Matt? Initially, I did, yeah. I thought it was curious to play Mares ahead of Sane in particular. But but then looking at it, they've got these three games coming up against Spurs um, in quick succession. And this is the one of the three that they could afford a narrow defeat in, uh, essentially. So I half wonder if, if he had a, an eye on the second leg, but also they've got a difficult Premier League game on Sunday against Crystal Palace. And that's, you know, th- this is a retrievable situation, losing 1-0. It would have been a lot different, as Tom said, had, had the penalty gone in. So there's there's definitely something in the fact that the selection was strange. Delphit left back instead of Mendy, who obviously started the FA Cup semi-final. Zinchenko, had he been fit, would probably be a better bet than either of those. They couldn't pick Bernardo Silva, but I just wonder if he did have one eye on these upcoming games and maybe thinks overall a 1-0 defeat is not too bad because you'd still probably make them favourites to overturn that at the Etihad next week. And because it's so close with Liverpool in the Premier League, the Crystal Palace game... Palace obviously already beaten them this season, came close to beating them at Selhurst last season. He made a big deal, didn't he, on, on all or nothing about what a difficult opponent they were. Mm. Maybe he just maybe nice. he just had an eye on that. Yeah. I think it, it, I think you factor in the way that City went out of the Champions League the last two seasons, right. you know, against Monaco and then against Liverpool when they basically lost the tie in the first leg each time. I think that's what And would you put those down to Pep's tinkering? Not always. I mean, like he picked quite a weird team at Anfield last season. Where he, sort of, we had Ilkay Gundogan out on the right wing and Raheem Sterling on the bench, which was 
which was puzzling. Um, Monaco, the previous year, you recall, he had that uh, five forwards and Fernandinho thing, which didn't work out too well. Yeah, yeah. So again, I mean, you you can call his decisions in, into question, but I, I got the impression that actually he wasn't too downbeat after the game on he Tuesday. You were outstanding. Yeah, which was an an interesting take. Um, but usually, but... what he's the more positive he is post game, the the worse the team has actually. Well, I been. thought the person who had most to say and was most interesting to listen to was Ilkay Gundogan mm. afterwards because he was very honest about the performance, saying we were not brave enough, made a lot of simple mistakes, and I have the feeling we're always nervous in these Champions League mm. matches and we always make the wrong decisions. I mean, we should give Spurs some some praise as well. Oh no, we're going to. It, it's a big advantage. We, we for haven't them. finished uh, having a go at Pep though. Okay. Have we? <laughs> we have. Yeah. He hasn't had an away win in the Champions League quarterfinal or semi-final since 2011. And that was the last time he won the competition as well. Which. And when you think of the teams he's been managing in that period, I, I, I. Yeah. No one's doubting his influence on the game and his standing as you know, the preeminent tactical mind of his generation um but so why does he keep getting it so wrong in these in these matches well i think as tom alluded to i think um he has overthought this i mean just playing two kind of defensive ish con- control and containing midfield players in gundawan and fernandinho there it was it was very cautious really uh, i think it paid quite a lot of respect um to spurs he seems obsessed with um, stopping counter-attacks because that's what his experience in Germany was like. And so you had Fabian Delph um, you know, playing in that, that full-back position but essentially trying to interpret it in the way that Lahm did where he comes inside, um, not really to contribute anything in the passing game but to stop Spurs breaking on them. Um, but I thought what was quite revealing is City first half had 60% of the ball but if you look at the passes that each team had in the final third, Spurs had 41, City had 19. City only got into the penalty area four times. Um, I think of their nine shots, only one was on target in the end, aside from the uh, excluding the Aguero penalty. So Spurs, as we'll get to, did a very good job at limiting this City side. All right, so Matt, how much then of this was not Pep's problems, but Spurs' brilliance, particularly in that closing, that those, the dramatic closing minutes when they'd lost Harry Kane, he'd kind of hopped off down the the tunnel and Sun came up with that spectacular winner yeah and we have this strange thing don't we where Sun always seems to perform better when when Harry Kane's not around his his goal stats without Kane are are quite incredible Um, they've obviously got the advantage of having this game in their new stadium over Wembley, I wonder how different it might have been had they not had that. It's, you know, it's the biggest game at that stadium. Everybody was up for it, etc., and so on. But they were just really well organised. People like Kieran Trippier, who's had a rotten season, had a, had a really good game mm. here, um, which obviously helped them. And, and yeah, they managed to take the chance that they got. It, it probably helps that they weren't expected to be all smash mouth and go hell for leather from the start because of the, the nature of the opponents. And and they used that to their advantage. Whether one goal will be enough for them in the second leg, especially well, without Harry Kane. Without Harry Kane. Although, are they better without him? James Steen dares to ask that question. Are Spurs in England better without Kane? Or one is, one isn't, or both better with? There's all well, the options there. Their, their record, just to say, their record during Kane's recent injury, which was also ankle, no? Yeah, mm-hmm. was win, defeat, win, 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 win. And then after he came back, loss, loss, draw, win, loss, loss, win. Sell him. Mm. Get rid. <laughs> what? I mean, if you look at, if you look at um, the with Kane and without Kane stats, since the beginning of 2016-17, um, Spurs have got a better win percentage without him than with him, which is pretty surprising. It's the opposite for England. England are a lot more dependent on Kane, or at least that's what the um you know the relevant stats suggest but yeah certainly during his most recent injury i think everyone assumed that the wheels might fall off a little bit and actually spurs look just as good if not better in some games and you know there's there's a lot of teams in the premier league who are quite dependent on one key player and the the tendency is to look at kane and the amount of goals he scores and the the importance he has to to the way that spurs play and think that he is one of those irreplaceable players but actually he really isn't and and i think that's credit to to pochettino and and to the way that he uses the resources at his disposal that even without his best player you don't really notice it in in terms of spurs performance level mm. particularly with their midfield bossing the Man City midfield, Sissoko and Harry Winks. Yeah, they, they, there's one caveat to that Kane thing, the Kane stat, which it doesn't take into account the opposition, does it? So, you know, oh. the, the games that they're playing might be against lesser teams than, say, the big six yeah, around Fulham, them. Fulham, Watford, Newcastle and Leicester was their kind of winning streak 
uh, when he was out um, throughout January and February. So how over is this tie then? Do you fancy Pochettino to, to manage the game away at the Etihad well enough to come out of this? Well, ultimately, they only mind. need to draw. Um, and, you know, I think they've got you know, two results out of three will do them well. We've only seen, what, a couple of teams actually go to the Etihad and win. Um, Palace being one and, and Leon being the other. Um, but I just, I think the the way City go into these Champions League games, um, it's entirely possible that Spurs can see this through just because there is, it, it does seem that there is some kind of complex that is let, yet to be lifted um, for, for, for that team in this competition at this stage. City have lost all five of their European matches against English opposition, including all three so far in the Champions League. So mm. something of a run going on here. Right. Oh, Curse of Drake update. We've been talking about this in recent weeks. Some people scoffed, poo-pooed the notion that a photo op with the Canadian rap artiste might have an adverse effect on your playing prospects. But have a listen to this. Drake took a picture with Sancho ahead of De Classica. What happened? Bayern 5, Dortmund 0. Drake then took a picture with Aubameyang, who lost 1-0 at Everton. He took a picture with Aguero ahead of this one. Aguero. <laughs> wow. Rafa went to see him on Monday, and I just hope he didn't take a picture. Rafa's due in a little bit later on today. We'll, we'll see. Anyway, now, uh, well done to Spurs. A setback for City and their title rivals, Liverpool, meanwhile picked up yet more momentum with their victory over Porto. I think we're going to have a quick break and then bring you our thoughts on that. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Tuesday night, Liverpool 2, Porto zip. Five games, says Michael Cox, from the end of a potentially title-winning season. Jurgen Klopp has suddenly stumbled upon a new midfield. Fabinho, Naby Keita and Jordan Henderson. Wackers Raja, hi Wackers, says... Was this Klopp's plan all along for Binho Henderson and Cater, or do you think he can upgrade on Hendo? It's interesting, interesting how this has all come together. Is this is this a template for the future, Tom? Yeah, I mean, clearly when um, Cater and Fabinho arrived last summer, the assumption was that they would start most matches because the amount of money that had been spent on them. Uh, we know that Fabinho was eased into the team very gradually uh, and now appears to have made that number six position his own. Naby Keita we saw a bit more of more quickly and then he's vanished from the team a little bit. I think he had an injury at some point but then he's he's come back in the last couple of games, played very well, scored key goals against Southampton uh, and then against Porto on Tuesday. Um, and Jordan Henderson who, you know, who is constantly decried for various presumed limitations in his game was absolutely fantastic against Porto and, and there was an interesting admission afterwards from Jurgen Klopp that he'd wrongly assumed that Henderson's best position was the number six role and right. that he was actually the a, a rival for... midfielder. Yeah, a defensive midfielder. Right. Whereas Henderson's always had a lot more about him. I mean, going back to his Sunderland days, he's always been much more of a box-to-box player um, and he creates the second goal against Porto with that fantastic pass between uh, full-back and, and centre-back for Trent Alexander-Arnold to then cross for Roberto Firmino. And it, it's got a really nice balance to it, that midfield. Um, and again, I think Klopp's patience with Fabinho and Cater is being rewarded because, you know, we're now at the business end of the season uh, and, and he can, you know, haven't been able to count on, on Fabinho for the last few months. It looks like Cater might be about to step up to the plate as well. I see. Meanwhile, as they sail into their second leg with that handy two-goal lead, Man United, not so much, James, after that 1-0 defeat at home to Barcelona. Yeah, I mean, their 2-1 win at the Camp Nou will, will do for them, and Solskjaer has experience of that. Uh, however, you look at the format United have been in uh, ever since really he, he got the job on a permanent basis, um, and it's not encouraging. Uh, lost not four of the last five. Um, I uh, watched this game in the airport in the early hours of this morning, and oh. it did almost send me to sleep. Right, it was it was a, an off-colour Barcelona performance, and even more so from Man United, who failed to get a shot on target. They've only had one in 180 minutes of knockout football at Old Trafford this season in the Champions League. They've only had one home goal all season in the Champions League, the competition, in in, in you know the entire competition, and that was scored by, of course. Uh, the Chinese Super League's Maron Fellaini. Apart from the fact that they have pulled off spectacular things like this in the past and even this season. And they won in Turin against MPS, Juventus as well. That's true. But apart from that, can you find any positives from their performance, Matt? No, not really. I, I think the fact that Scott McTominay is being held as the, the man of the match for them kind of 
tells its own tale. As you say, they didn't manage to have a, a shot on target. Uh, we got Solskjaer talking about at times it felt like a proper United team and I just wonder where, when that's going to start wearing a bit thin with their supporters given given the recent results. It, it just looked like Barcelona never got out of third gear and United were trying their hardest and still didn't manage to lay a glove on them. And, and you can't see... You can't see Barca not scoring at home in the return leg. Right, because away from home, they are vulnerable. This, I think, was their first away win in the knockout since 2016. Yeah, and Messi doesn't seem to like the quarterfinals. Mm. This, this bizarre stat that he hasn't scored in any of his last 12 Champions League quarterfinal appearances back to, to 2013. And Chris Smalling pretty early on made sure that uh, he wasn't going to particularly enjoy his evening at Old Trafford by no, that's giving true. him that forearm smash across the, the bridge of the nose. Let's talk about the other game, James. Ajax Juve. Ajax Juve at the Johan Cruyff Arena. <laughs> His young heirs were doing him justice. Yeah, I think they did. Um, they played their own way. I mean, it was a completely different challenge to the one that they faced against Real Madrid. You know, a team with a different style, which was going to be more organised than, than Madrid, well, with a better, more experienced manager as well in Allegri rather than Santi Solari. And... Uh, yeah, I mean, they dance with the ball. I mean, it's it's great to watch. Um, how, how excited were you to make this trip? I was very excited because, uh, uh, yeah, following them throughout the the course of this season, that they've they've really risen to the occasion against um, yeah the other big traditional sides in Europe, not just Madrid but Bayern in the group stages as well. Uh, and just to see Frankie De Jong and Matthias De Ligt in the, in the in the flesh, De Jong just. He wants to run the game. He wants to be starting every single move. Uh, he moves all over the pitch um, and just so very difficult to, to pick up. And I think what Ajax showed last last night for all the financial disparity that they really highlighted the kind of how their midfield game is so much better than Juventus's and really highlighted the limits of it. I thought more than the uh, Chiellini being absent, um, the big miss for for Juventus on the night was Emre Chan because Chan in the second leg against Atletico did such a good job of kind of coming short, helping them build up the play and allowing their fullbacks to push, push forward. And beyond sort of moments of individual brilliance, you had the odd dribble to get out and counter on uh, on them that way or a mistake, Juventus didn't, weren't able really to, to sustain any pressure on Ajax. Right, they had that one really well-executed move that was so smooth that you wonder why they didn't do it more often, which led to... The opening goal. Yeah, and uh, that felt like the streetwise Italians uh, were, were showing these kids a bit of a lesson there um, because, you know, their one clear-cut chance uh, and they took it. Um, and it was the only shot on target that they had in the entire game. Hmm. Um, but it was it was brilliant um, because it, Ronaldo was involved from start to finish, um, came short, um, laid it off to Cancelo and Daly Blind, who'd kind of stepped up to, to challenge him, then decided not to follow uh, Ronaldo, who made a great run in, into the penalty area, a run that was kind of aided by Bentancur taking Matthias de Ligt away as well. His 23rd headed goal in the Champions League, Wow, Cristiano Ronaldo. All right, let's have some Ronaldo numbers. <laughs> 25th goal of the season, 64th goal in the knockout stages. From the quarterfinals onwards, he's scored 41 mm. goals now. To put that in perspective, Leo Messi's got 16. And there's a wonderful graphic, there's lovely animated bar charts. Mm. BT Sport have done one with goal scorers in the Champions League since 2003 to the present day. And starts you got Raul there, who you forget almost what a legend, what an almost unassailable target he was in terms of Champions League goals. And he's out there, and sure enough, <laughs> my way through, this Messi leaps up and then just blows past him. And then Ronaldo, Raul, I think, got to 71. Ronaldo's now on 125. Credible. Already, in fact, their graphic was out of date because it was pre, pre Ajax. David Nares, though, with the with the equaliser for Ajax. And, and what do you think about the return leg in Turin? I think Ajax have got a chance. Um, we saw Madrid and Manchester United both beat uh, Juventus at the Allianz Stadium in in the last year. And this is a team that has got goals, um, plays the same way, home and away. They scored 100 goals in the Eredivisie. Um, yeah, we mentioned this on Monday and then everybody went, yeah, in the Eredivisie. Yeah, but the thing is, if you look at it, it's still mightily impressive because they've scored like five. Um, uh, they've scored five, goal, five goals or more on 10 occasions. I've found that the way they build up the play with, I mean, with De Jong and uh, Ziyech in particular, who I think will probably be cursing his sort of lack of accuracy um, because he worked Chesney with a really good 
um, curling shot, which um, Chesney tipped over the bar. But I think this team has everything to kind of cause anyone problems. And just to give you an idea of just their overall team play, I mean, the only player on Ajax's uh, side last night not to have a shot was Daly Blind. Everyone else had a shot. The game was amazing, James. How good was the build-up at the Johan Cruyff Arena? It was everything I wanted from going to a game in Holland. Raucous, pumping techno music, James. Right, like this. That's DJ Norman Crazy on the dance floor, listener. Also, during the goalkeeper warm-ups, yep. they had uh, What's My Name by Rihanna for Onana. Nice. Which was brilliant. Nice. And then, because they went... I think they play this during every game anyway at half-time, but um, after Ronaldo had scored, it was the, literally the last touch of the game going into the going into the interval. They played Bob Marley, Don't Worry About a Thing. Right. Three and, little birds. Yeah. And uh, the final message as they kicked off was, this is my message to you. The final right. lyric was, and what did they, they... They didn't worry about a thing, James. They scored 30 seconds into the second so half. as much brilliant. as it's entertainment for the fans, it's yeah. a little bit of a kind of mind games for the players. There was a lot of talk of actually where the Spurs, when they brought Crystal Palace out and made them stand there for 10 minutes while they played... Chaz and Dave or whatever they did at the <laughs> opening of the, of the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium were engaged but there you go Tom mm. yeah well it was it was Mr Go Compare wasn't it I think who who Tottenham that's true who Tottenham inflicted on Crystal Palace I and always a, a assumed he'd been dubbed in those adverts but that's genuinely him that's singing. actually him yeah yeah he's a, he's a Welsh um, tenor I think Wynn Evans and he's like he is a, a respected or well, was perhaps Wynn in his name. Yeah, I don't know the respects uh, <laughs> singer in his own right um, but yeah interesting choice I mean I, I didn't see I'm guessing he wasn't in his sort of go compare get up. Okay. Would be, no, yeah. he wasn't. He, he wasn't. Oh, okay. I would not have recognised him. Would you? Was there anything from that pre-game playlist at the Johan Cruyff Arena that you would, you would, you know, go back to for a little bit of a reminiscing? Reminiscing. Well, that techno song definitely. Yeah. DJ Norman. Not so much the kind of Dutch crooning sort of. What was stuff. the Dutch crooning? It was this like blood, blood, zwet en tranen, which is I think blood, sweat and tears. That's it. Much lighters out, phone lights on, kind of. That was that. That was very much anthemic, kind of. Everyone in, in unison. Italy, that loving. would be number one in Italy. Yeah, sure. I thought it sounded more French with the accordion. But yeah, it was. The, it's, it, it, it's not that I don't like that genre of music. It's just it's like I think game. there are better, yeah. better versions of it. Mm, nice one. Check out Andre Hege's uh, back catalogue. Okay. You know. Or don't. Those are the options. <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile, Matt at Chelsea, you're coming out to Park Life, followed by goes into the liquidator. Yeah, Park Life before the players arrive on the pitch, and as the referee is first comes into view, the liquidator hits. Tom, I know you like to play the game as well as speak it. Do you have a, f- a favourite pre-game track? I've got a uh, an iPhone playlist uh, of dance music, which you're updating now. That, I see. that I that I listen to just to sort of loosen up, and mm-hmm. it's lots of sort of big commercial dance numbers, but it helps. What's helps the guiltiest secret folk. you have on that playlist? I'm not sure. I'm prepared to divulge that in, in a public forum <laughs> really? because there are some very guilty secrets. Oh, come on, on tell us then. Come on. Oh no, there's we'll all sorts. Oh, no, there's, there's, there's some real. Come on, give there's us some one. real. Come on. Some of our listeners on. might want to actually yeah. follow this playlist on Spotify, yeah. Tom. But there's a bit of Lady Gaga on there. There's okay. nothing wrong with that. She's an incredibly talented artiste. Yeah, yeah. Um, what else? There's something more. Else, bit, a bit of Robin. I'm not going to confess to the really embarrassing stuff because it is really real. I'll, t- I'll, I'll tell you off mic, James. It's never been easier to mess things up. Whether you're confusing vegans with dairy intolerance, offering your seat to a pregnant lady who isn't pregnant, or like Liverpool, chucking away a seven point lead at the top of the Premier League in a matter of weeks. Good one, lads. That's why Paddy Power do money-back specials, so not all mistakes cost you as much. Paddy Power, home of the money-back special. Applies to first bet on all losing goal scorer, correct scorer, and what odds Paddy bets on the match. Max refund £10, T's and C's apply, 18 plus, On Spotify, smart speaker, and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. Right, well, that's all the Champions League stuff done, eh? And the weekend has some interesting Premier League matches, of course... City visiting Palace, who beat them at the Etihad. Could it happen again? We'll get some thoughts on that 
very shortly. But the big one is Liverpool-Chelsea on Sunday. Now, we've spoken about Klopp's side. Chelsea, meanwhile, have Thursday night football, or their reserves do anyway, against Slavia Praha in the Europa League. Of course, you're commentating on that, Matt. I don't mean to suggest that it's not a top priority well, for them. Didn't Andreas Christensen say he'd never really heard of them or wasn't... Andreas it seems to say a lot of things that get him in a bit of trouble, yeah, um, which is quite interesting. He'll play in this match, definitely, I would have thought. But okay. uh, it's uh, if you want to go on to the game, I think it's a bit of a handicap for Chelsea. They fly back on Friday morning, but they fly straight to Liverpool. and um, Doing a Horncastle, we call it. Yeah, yeah, quite. <laughs> James literally just got off the plane, by the way, from Amsterdam. Yeah. But, OK, but before we get onto that, I was going to say that they'd already been in action this week. Monday, they took on... West Ham yeah. with an astonishing performance from Eden Hazard. Oh my goodness me, Tom was lucky enough to be there as well. It's just oh, really? it, it's one of those things we, we we spoke about it afterwards in the gantry um, amongst the, the sort of Chelsea TV crew and said that if he does go this season, we've had seven seasons of privilege watching this guy because it is just it was such a phenomenal goal. Um, we had a chat about whether it was better than his goal at Anfield in the League Cup earlier this season. Remind me of that one. Uh, it was he sort of got it on the left wing, cut inside, beat a load of players, and really fired it into the far corner of the net mm. uh, It was uh, that was my favourite personally but our friend Pat Nevin along with our other commentators all thought this one was better so I asked Eddie afterwards he said he preferred the one at Anfield because it was at Anfield and because it was against Liverpool but this one he just goes it's straight through it's a way to settle an argument I'll just ask just ask him yeah yeah just ask him um, he, he'll go straight through the middle and we sort of watched it live and we're very very back row of the East stand right on halfway is our commentary position so it's great tactically uh-huh. but he, you're not close to the action particularly so we waiting for the replay to think who did it bobble off it must have got a deflection off somebody but no he went left foot uh, right foot left foot into the bottom corner and it was a real hairs on the back of your neck kind well, of moment in the same way as we question Ajax goals in the Eredivisie against West Ham defenders <laughs> yeah I think that is that for me is the asterisk and that's what puts the Liverpool goal above it in that the West Ham defence did well, that was against Moreno and Mignolet the Liverpool one Sorry. Fair point, fair point. Nonetheless, you, you look at the defending, uh, and generally I'm loath to point the finger at defenders when you, you get a magnificent goal like that. You want to enjoy it, but he does go right through the heart of the team, between the two centre mids, between the two centre backs, and you know doesn't face all that much resistance. I love how you both said it's it's been a privilege to watch this guy, and these, and Edin feels these are two of his best goals, and then you said one's against Mignolet and Moreno, and the other's against <laughs> West Ham. Completely discredited. <laughs> no, I mean I, I don't think either of them are discredited, but I think right. if, if I think if you look at the look at the defending from West Ham, there are a few a few question marks. And, it, and it's not just that goal on Monday night. You know who scored? Who do their ratings? Every player in every game gave him ten, and he was worth that. You know he, he obviously scored the second goal to settle it in stoppage time as well. Mm. But his all round play was just phenomenal. And it, it, nights like that, it just glides across the pitch, and it's just joyous. You said if he leaves, yeah. What's your feeling on that now? Um, my feeling was that he might stay initially because he really does enjoy living in London. His family are very settled here and that's very important to him. He's got three young kids. But I think the Zidane factor has just tipped it the other way now, to be oh. honest, because we know how much he wants to play for Zidane and how much Zidane wants him to be in his side. So I would expect um, that, yeah, it's more likely that he'll leave than, than okay. that he'll stay. But they, they ought to just put a blank check in front of him and say, what can we do to get you to stay? Because the difference... Chelsea with and without Hazard is, is so marked. Obviously, it's going to be he's one of the best players in the Premier League. Right. More broadly, though, about Chelsea, Tom, you saw this game. Andy Simmons asking whether there are signs now that Sarismo is beginning to take hold at Chelsea based on this performance. They're into the top double. They've gone third again, haven't they? Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure to what extent Saribol has has taken hold. I think there have definitely been signs of that. But yeah, Chelsea have, have hit a bit of form. They had that very scratchy win away at Cardiff when uh, Neil Warnock was, uh, and, and rightly, quite cheesed off with some of the decisions that went against Cardiff. But since then, they had that quite straightforward home win against Brighton and then very impressive against West Ham again on Monday. And they, they do seem to have, have hit a bit of form. And I think it's been interesting that this has coincided with Ruben Loftus-Cheek and, and Callum Hudson-Odoi uh, coming into the team. Um, Matt's nodding vigorously. Mm, I mean, I'm not convinced that they would both have started had it not been for this Europa League game on Thursday I think I think there was perhaps somewhere a desire um, from Sarri to, to keep things fresh and that's why we've seen so much of them and it's the first time that Hudson-Odoi has started two league games back to back it's also the first time this season that Loftus-Cheek has started two league games back to back and that they do bring a, a freshness to, to Chelsea's play and I think that's been a factor in it Has, has Sarri decided to 
to change things? Yeah, I think so. And, and it's a point I've been making for months now. If you want players to adopt this style, which is apparently so foreign to people, it, the best players to do that with are surely young, malleable players rather than players in their 30s like William and, um, and Pedro, good as they are. Loftus-Cheek just gives so much more energy to midfield than, say, Kovacic, um, who I'm struggling to get my head around, um, having seen him for nearly a season. Loftus-Cheek really gave Declan Rice the runaround on Monday night and Declan Rice is a player who, who's quite rightly be, been hyped but he, he's so physically strong and he's, he's he's able to get into the penalty area in a way that the likes of Kovacic don't that he's he's somebody who needs to be starting every he's a, he's a first choice pick in Chelsea's midfield Alright then and will he be first choice pick uh, when they go to Anfield on Sunday? Yeah I would have thought so because I don't think he'll play tonight but um, as I was saying it, it's not in Chelsea's favour this game they've got a decent record at Anfield over the last few years they've already won there this season but Liverpool obviously played on Tuesday night Chelsea flying back from Prague on Friday morning mm. to Liverpool apparently last I heard they were going to train at Everton for a couple of days um, as is often the way in this case but you, you wonder how much that will be a factor for them in, in terms of the fatigue I would probably say I looked at the games for the top six yesterday and, and did one of those who's going to get how many points what's going to happen kind uh-huh. of thing and I got this down as a draw and Chelsea finishing the season in fourth and, and Liverpool second on goal difference unfortunately for well, of course them. the last time that Liverpool were involved in a title bid you had the same fixtures as you do this weekend with them hosting Chelsea and Palace taking on Man City and Palace lost 2-0 to City while at Anfield this happened Oh and Jarrett slipped and Denver Barr's in here Out comes Mignolet but Barr punishes of all people Steven Gerrard It's a terrific moment for Chelsea but an awful one for the Liverpool skipper Yeah, 2-0 Chelsea win. In fact, Liverpool haven't beaten Chelsea at Anfield in the last five years. But Chelsea are a bit bobbins on the road these days, of course, aren't they? Fans have really let that uh, slip go, haven't they? They don't bring it up. (laughs) Never hear about it. (laughs) Never hear about it. <laughs> Stevie Gerrard's been able to kind of, you know, phew, no one noticed that. Yeah, got away with that one. <laughs> Andy Robertson's back after missing the Porto game through suspension. What can Chelsea do to stop that threat from him and Trent on the flanks? Force them back, I suppose, with, mm. uh, we've already mentioned Hudson Odoi. Um, but Chelsea have actually done, well, in results wise, they've done pretty well against Liverpool this season. Uh, it was only a storage, what, last minute equaliser in, in September they knocked them out of the, the League Cup as we mentioned thanks to a bit of magic from Hazard so yeah it's one of those curious things where I'm still not entirely convinced by by Chelsea um, I, I, I look at the the fixtures that they've had in this kind of this recent run of, of wins and think that that's the kind of results Brighton, they should be getting West Ham yeah, <laughs> yeah they should be getting um, so and obviously, you know the, uh, the the congestion, the fixture congestion doesn't doesn't no favours here. So I would expect Liverpool to prevail. Meanwhile, Palace take on City at the Etihad. Clash between the two teams finished three two to Palace. Roy Hodgson describing it as one of those bonanza days. Now, Palace, <laughs> I know what he means. Yeah, but it's just, it's just the image of Roy Hodgson saying it that's funny, isn't it? Yeah. I wonder if we can get the... Can you get the clip, Ben? <laughs> Today, it's one of those bonanza days where you, you get your work rate, you get your shape of your team, your structure and your discipline, but then you also score the goal. That's Roy. Nothing funny about that. Um, City with very little to laugh about that day. Uh, they'd previously beaten Palace on their two visits up north, 5-0 on both occasions. But this time around, Hodgson, he said, I'm not going to just try and shut City out. I'm actually going to give them a bit of a game. And because of all his players worked so hard, according to the match report that I'm reading here, it all worked. Do you think there's any way that it could happen again, Tom? Um, I think the the big difference with Palace this season is that they're such a different team, um, depending on whether they're playing at home or away. Um, you know, they're one of the best counter-attacking teams in the country. They've got one of the best away records in the country, um, and at home, they're a very different prospect. And I think what we saw in that that game at the Etihad was was. Palace having the opportunity to play to their strengths. We know how City hog possession. We know how much space they leave in behind when they've got the ball and and Palace were able to exploit that. It'll be a very different sort of game on Sunday. Um, And you also wonder Palace, I mean, they got that that really useful win uh, against Newcastle last weekend. That puts them on 39 points. They've got a much better goal difference than all the teams below them. Hodgson has said he thinks they're basically safe, so it's not like they're going to, you know, they're going to be kind of like flying out of the traps at City. So playing without fear. 
playing with. I mean, playing without fear, which is true. Mm. Um, uh, but yeah, that you know that their home record this season has, no. has not been what it should be. No. So I, I think it'll be a very different sort of game. All right then. Yeah, their home record's not the best. Only Fulham and Huddersfield are worse. Will Sane start in this game? I mean, it's it does it's quite it's becoming a bit of an issue. This he's only got seven starts to his last eighteen games, um, and you look at the, the the teams he started against: Cardiff, Swansea, Schalke the second leg, West Ham, and Newport. I mean, what's going? Does he not fancy them in the big games? Or I'm not sure. Big games is what City have after this one. Damn straight. Then they'll have Spurs in the Champions League, and then Spurs in the Premier League, and then they make the trip to Old Trafford, which may or may not be a tough test for them. The Offside Rule Weekly Chinwags have returned. After travelling around the country speaking to the great and good in the beautiful game, we're back in a comfy studio ready to bring you a weekly dose of what's happening in football. The team that we've got at the moment, the sort of football they're playing, it gives me hope. We had a brilliant World Cup in Russia that we could really enjoy and get behind them and that looks like it's going to continue yeah. and move on. Well, thanks to England this week, you'll be delighted to know that I learned what a wet willy was. Coburnie Ladeside is the club that my granddad supported, so I just kind of latch on to them. Yeah. We were hey, taken you can't have any games. more teams anyway. I You've know. already got Middlesbrough and Manchester United. And Real Madrid. We'll be ready for you every Friday morning to kickstart your sporting weekend so that's the offside rule out every friday morning you can get involved by subscribing now on your preferred podcasting app kimmy in zurich wants to know why more wasn't made of last saturday's huge match in the bundesliga by munich against borussia dortmund kimmy we brought in Raphael honigstein to answer that very question you can gegen bayern can mal Verlieren, but not like this. Not like this, no. You can lose against Bayern, but if you're Borussia Dortmund and have a huge chance to open up a five-point gap, or at least with a draw, make sure that you stay top, that you have the advantage going into the last six games that on paper look a little bit easier for you than for Bayern, but you fail miserably, and you fail in a sense that it was almost embarrassing. Even, I think, for neutrals, it was... A mixture between cruel and uh, and uncomfortable watching a team being so incompetent and inept, just not showing up at all in the, what was the biggest game of the season. And uh, Bayern, by contrast, were very, very sharp, very aggressive, played with a sense of abandon, threw man forward and played a very muscular, very dominant, sort of very male, masculine football, full-blooded and... and, and wow. Dortmund looked like schoolboys uh, by comparison. And indeed, Thomas Delaney said, we were schooled today. It was a lesson. And that's how it felt. I saw this game described as an inept performance of catastrophic proportions. Yes, but specifically, excellent what, description. <laughs> that was you, you, of course, and between munches of your uh, white asparagus. We knew from the second half of the season that they had trouble defending from crosses and, and fairly basic stuff that they weren't doing right. And... It was a mixture of lack of focus and injury problems. So you thought, okay, at least try not to concede stupid goals early on. But that's exactly what they did. And after that, I think all confidence completely drained out of the team and they looked almost afraid knowing that this this could be much worse. And if Bayern hadn't let up in the second half, it could have been it could have been double figures. I mean Dortmund were just so incompetent and just not able to deal with anything that Bayern did and they had two shots on goal uh, one shot on target they had that one big chance after six minutes when Mahmoud Dahoud hit the outside of the post and that was the only time they troubled Manuel Neuer's goals, goal over 90 minutes right and you it was there. just so disappointing yeah you were there in, in, in Munich yeah so for a, 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 the Bayern support who been living all season with the spectre of, of Dortmund taking the title away from them. It must have been quite an afternoon. The Allianz Arena was really rocking because I think there was a sense that Dortmund are coming here to at least disrupt our dominance. After six years of, of winning the title consecutively, it had a sense of maybe this year is not going to be Bayern's year. And I think some fans or some sections of the fan base were almost prepared for it. But then the fact that Bayern kind of struck back in such magnificent fashion, because they had a great game independently of Dortmund's weaknesses, um, just got everyone super excited. And there was also, I think, 
still a bit of lingering frustration over the way that Bayern were knocked out by Liverpool. Um, so the fact that their second biggest game of the season was such a resounding success made just everyone really, really happy and kind of reconciled um, the fans with a team with a team that's been fairly indifferent this year. OK, one point between them and Dortmund now. And as you say, Dortmund do have a slightly easier running. So is it really over? It shouldn't really be over. But the big question is, was this more than a than a win? Was this more than three points? Because Dortmund now are psychologically fragile and will fall apart at the next next opportunity. And that's where the title will ultimately be decided. Because as good as Bayern were, it's not beyond them to have another stutter as they did just a week before when they drew against Freiburg. And you thought, you know, Freiburg, yeah, they'll they make life life difficult, but really Bayern should win there. And they've got Düsseldorf, which is a similar kind of team who do a lot with very little. And if Bayern are again um, not 100% in terms of the focus and application, then maybe we could see another upset. So I don't think it's over, but Dortmund first need to show that they can consign this game to the history books and make sure it doesn't affect their their confidence and their, their mental application over the next few weeks. Tom. It's first v second this weekend, which is exciting, but there's 20 points between them, which is less so still, eh? Lille taking on PSG Sunday night. Yes, so PSG could have sealed the title last weekend had they beaten Strasbourg, and they didn't. Uh, they were held to a 2-2 draw at part of their prize, but they can finish the job this weekend if they draw at Lille, who are their closest rivals. Uh, Will Moting play? Um, but, yeah, I mean... Looking at his performance against Strasbourg, he would probably do well to keep his place in the starting right. eleven. I mean, what's what's worked in his favour is the fact that PSG have had so many injuries. Yep. You know, Cavani's still out, Neymar's still out, so he, yeah, he, he could still keep his place. Okay. Uh, but yeah, he's he's been uh, he's been the, the talk of the town uh, as far as French football is concerned this week. Matt, what's going on in the J League? Um, well, it's not going particularly well for Fernando Torres yet again. I'm on um, his team's game this weekend, Kawasaki Frontale, who've also started pretty poorly, the defending champions. Only won one of six, but they've got four draws. Uh, Vissel Kobe with our friends Iniesta and Via and Podolski, kind of inconsistent, they, as you would expect. They have all the ball in every game, create loads and loads of chances, but um, don't score. David Villa started well, but Podolski's getting a bit of stick. He he was injured for the last game. He wasn't in the squad, and I saw uh, a Japanese uh, football expert pontificating that perhaps he was off to the sumo, which will oh. tell you that oh. his uh, conditioning is not what it ought to be. Some Kobe beef there. <laughs> Very, <nice. laughs> Very good. Uh, back to the Premier League then. And while Chelsea travelled to Anfield, what about the other top four contenders? Well, Spurs are taking on Huddersfield. Arsenal, meanwhile, have to wait till Monday night because they're in action against Napoli this Thursday evening in the Europa League. And then Monday night, they travel Arsenal to Watford for a game they actually lost 2-1 last season. Was that the Troy Deeney Cojones? It was. It was. OK. Arsenal's away form has not improved since those days. Watford, on the other hand, are buoyed by their recent FA Cup success. Would you like to call this game for us? Yeah, I think Watford will win it. But the, the Arsenal away thing, obviously 2019, their only win was at Huddersfield. But they've had as many defeats in the Premier League on the road as Spurs, Chelsea and Manchester United. So it is a, it is a very recent what, put together? thing. No, six, they've all lost six games each. Oh, I see. So you, you say, you know, Arsenal got this terrible away record. They've actually lost as many games away huh. from home as Spurs, Chelsea and United. But they've only won one in 2019. And the caveat of that is it was a game against Huddersfield um, so they need to pick up their points at home they've, they've got a way at Wolves and a way at Burnley to mm. come though so you know there's just some reasonable fixtures for them but it's I would say Watford. Watford Watford yeah. Watford alright and uh, Man United are at home to West Ham asterisk is West Ham <laughs> was 3-1 to the Hammers back in September in what was described as an absolutely shambolic performance by United was that Joseph Mourinho describing as that <laughs> possibly so actually <laughs> Possibly so. This game will not feature Andy Carroll, who's had surgery and won't be having his contract renewed, so he's played his last game for the club. Ashley Young and Luke Shaw are both suspended. Chicharito could be suiting up against his former club. Any thoughts on this one? Yeah, um, I mean, United's coming into it off the back of, of that defeat against Barcelona last night. But then West Ham, I, I wouldn't have thought any of the big teams would be too worried about playing him at the moment. They've lost three of the last four and the only win they got in that time was a very scratchy 
4-3 against Huddersfield when they came from behind. Um, they, I wouldn't say that they're, they're on the beach, West Ham, but they, they do seem to have lost their way a little bit. Um, and yeah, I mean, I saw them against Chelsea on Monday and as well as Chelsea played, you know, West Ham, you know, did make life easy for them. The bit of a rally in the second half, Robert Snodgrass came on and gave them a bit more oomph, but I mean, Mark Arnautovic is not the player that he he briefly looked like he, he might be about to turn into under under David Moyes last season. Um, so yeah, I mean, you know, United's form, as we've said, Manchester United's form that is, that has been has been poor, um, but uh, yeah, I think they'll, I think they'll go into this one expecting to uh, get back to winning ways. I see. Further down, the battle for seventh, we'll see Fulham host Everton. You're doing comms on that, aren't you, Matt? I am, yeah. I had Lucky to do thing. Huddersfield last week as well, so I'm getting the relegated teams right uh, me- already. Uh, I'm, I'm quite looking forward to this, though, because oh. Marco Silva, I, I kind of backed him earlier in the season, seems to have turned it round. Everton look really good at the moment, and I'm interested to see if Scott Parker can, can make a decent case for keeping the Fulham job for next season because he's lost all five so far but they're against Chelsea, Leicester, Liverpool, City and Watford and they only lost by a single goal to Chelsea and Liverpool so this could is a good this be the, Could this be the weekend from mm. then? Newcastle meanwhile will be visiting Leicester where Brendan Rodgers will be looking to make it five wins in a row and then further still down the table you've got your relegation battle Cardiff in the bottom three and then five points above them Saints and Brighton Brighton have a game in hand though Brighton will play twice this week first off at home to Bournemouth, and then at home to Cardiff. So if Brighton were to lose this weekend against Bournemouth, then they play Cardiff, and then they've got fixtures against Spurs, Arsenal and City to come. Wow. They're not going to lose at home to Bournemouth, are they? Goodness me. Bournemouth are shocking on the road, it's true, Matt. Just, uh, well, they lost at Huddersfield. They're shocking at home as well at the moment. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, they they've won one of their last Burnley. nine since they hammered Chelsea back in January. They've lost ten of eleven away from home. Huddersfield, the exception to that, they're, they're, they're really limping over the line. All right, so Brighton should be all right then. Well, yeah, Cardiff have got to play Liverpool as well, and they go to United on the final day. So mm, I see Cardiff this weekend are visiting Burnley, who are on one of their little mini runs at the moment. Tom. Yeah, I think that Burnley Cardiff game is is a massive one for both teams. I mean, Cardiff clearly five points adrift and with difficult fixtures to come, uh, are really desperate for points. But also, you look at you look at Burnley's running; they've hit a decent bit of form um, when the last two. Uh, but after this home game against Cardiff, they're away to Chelsea, home to Man City, away to Everton, and then at home to Arsenal. So you conceivably see them not getting any points from those games. Uh, so I think if I think if Burnley win this, they'll probably be safe. But if they don't, it could be a could be a bit of a squeaky run-in for Ooh, them. Oh, Saints hosting Wolves. Will their season now tail off? Do you think after that FA Cup semi-final defeat? Yeah, it could possibly. They they have been looking a little bit tired of late. Some of their players, I think, but it, um, depends how much they want Europa League football next season, I guess. But it was such a galling way to lose a game. Um, and Southampton have looked have looked decent. Of late, uh, Southampton have won five of their twelve Premier League games in 2019. They won six in the whole of 2018. Oh, but they're patchy, aren't they? They beat Spurs at St Mary's, but lost to Cardiff. Mm, Fun, yeah. isn't it? It's football for you, I suppose. Hey, that's why Don't we keep coming back. Game. So far, anyway, Matt. Uh, now, uh, speaking of coming back, I hope you do soon, Tom. But this is where you leave us. Nicely done, uh, because you've got to head off to some unexplained. Uh, yes, I'm going to CNN. For oh, some you okay? Hot televised footy chat all right if they ask you about your pre-game playlist don't let on that it's adele the track of shame on your oh my god oops sorry about that yeah thanks no worries <laughs> don't no think anyone will have noticed no worries i thought it was dance music well yeah no i mean that, that, no i mean like adele, i thought you meant like the the sort of the my iphone oh no i meant on your music oh no on the dance playlist no that does that's just, there's no adele on there no actually there, there is. is there's a <laughs> There is a dance remix oh. of Hometown Glory. Okay. How does that go? I'm not familiar with that track. Uh, yeah, my hometown memories are fresh. Honestly, it's it's a banger. It is a banger. I'll hold my hand up to that one. We tweet a link to the Spotify playlist. Uh, it's not Spotify, I'm afraid. Okay. But I, you know, I'm happy to happy to, to share its contents. If anyone's interested, hit me up on Twitter at Tom okay. W Football. There you go. Nice one, Tom. Uh, enjoy at CNN and we'll see you soon thanks you're listening to the Totally Football Show sponsors of Melchester Rovers find out more at RoyTheRoversOfficial.com what about in Italy James 
Well, in Italy this week, we've had uh, a manager resign, yeah. Stefano Pioli, Fiorentina. Vincenzo Montella is back. The airplane has landed in Florence for a second spell there. Uh, he what, got them to four fourth-place finishes. Uh, I was in Italy on Monday. Went Big to game to start Genoa. off with there against Bologna, who, which is a bit of a derby. The Apennine derby. The Apennine derby. Yeah. Uh, Sinisa Mihailovic, who I think replaced Montella uh, the, the last time around, but didn't do all that well. It has been doing a very good job at Bologna mm. in, uh, in an effort to keep them in the top flight. This weekend, then, Juve can wrap up the title uh-huh. if they can get a point away at Spal. Yeah. But the big question then really is... Well, hello, Tom. Yeah, I've been bumped by CNN oh, really? for Julian Assange. Can you believe it? Oh, because of the Julian Assange I want to get their priorities right. Right. Yeah. Or it's because they heard about your your music tastes and they're like, we cannot we, have we anyone cannot possibly, like that. possibly tolerate this. Right. Uh, sorry, anyway, so now the top four race in Italy, uh, the big game is Milan at home to Lazio on Saturday mm-hmm. evening. Straight after Roma, who are just a point behind Milan play the revitalised, eager, Tudor-powered Udinese. So you've got three teams within one point of each other, Milan, Roma and Atalanta, and Lazio with a game in hand, uh, two points behind, and they are taking on Milan at San Siro on Saturday. That's the biggie. Yep, absolutely. Um, Both of these teams, I would say, out of sorts at the moment. Lazio had a real opportunity to um, fire into the top four, and instead, the the two games that you know, they should have got six points out of, they got one because they lost to Spal in Ferrara and they drew with Sassuolo. They needed like a 96-minute equaliser in that game. And Milan, since the derby, um, have not been convincing uh, at all. Uh, I've got new FFP trouble um, this week um, with um, UEFA, I think, again, reviewing the uh, year in which they were under the control of Lee Yong-Hong. Uh, which uh, I don't think is going to do the new owners any favours in terms of what they're going to do in the summer. But, uh, yeah, you've got Piontek, you've got Immobile. Um, yeah, um, so Piontek still gunning for the uh, Capo Cannonieri crown in his first uh, first season, even though he's changed clubs in the meantime. Um, but I would say that the, the, the big game, James, is the Derby de la Lanterna, no? right. Genoa-Sampdoria, because mm. that is just... If you're going to watch... If you're going to go to a game, if you're going to watch something on TV, it's always spectacular to to see what's going on in the stands. Sam plays some fantastic football. You've got, just mentioned, Piontek in the Capucanier race. You've got Quagliarella um, there. So, yeah, my mind will be very much focused on on uh, Liguria. Right. Both Genoese sides in, in good form at the moment. Yeah, I mean, we've seen Genoa be the only team that have contrived to beat Juventus um, and you know, took points off them in the in the in the first game between them and Samp have stumbled a little bit since beating Milan they were held by Torino and lost to Roma but how they lost that game I think they're still trying to figure it out because they created the better chances they they played better in that in that game than the Gialarossi did but yeah so I think uh yeah, this has got a lot to recommend it this okay. game James two City A related questions one is Edin Dzeko going to West Ham I think Dzeko will be on his way out of Roma in the summer right not sure where but he's on his way out. West Ham are definitely looking for a striker. Okay. And secondly, are Milan and Inter going to be on their way out of San Siro? Well, they're due to meet with the the council, I think, later this month um, because they seem to be united in in wanting to leave San Siro, demolish it and build a new stadium um, on the car park adjacent to it, which you know is obviously, I think... Um, pained a lot of nostalgists um, who still look at that stadium as one of the seven wonders of the football world, which it is, but um, maybe they shouldn't be held back by sentiment and need to push on into the future, James. Right. No room for sentiment in the modern game. No. What would be the other six wonders of the footballing world? Your playlist probably one of them, Tom. But... <laughs> yeah, let's scrape in at the bottom. Well, right. interestingly, I somehow ended up on this um, Twitter thread that a bunch of South American football journalists had got going, and you had to list 
the, your three favourite football grounds are the ones that you'd visited and the right. three that you were most keen to visit. And I've never been to San Siro. Okay. So it's top of my list. Okay. And I think the Bombonera was on there and somewhere else. But when you right. looked at what these South American journalists had come up with, they'd been to all the great South American grounds and the grounds that they're desperate to go to above all others in the world were like Craven Cottage. Right. Goodison Park. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Selhurst Park. Selhurst Park, for example, because yeah. that for them is the sort of, that is the authentic football experience. And I, and I can, you know, I can, I can understand that. Yeah. All right. Matt, you see football from all over the world. Mm. Which stadiums do you most think, oh, I wish I was there? Uh, La Bombonera, I think, is the yeah. one that always stands out. But yeah, San Siro too. And and less exotically, I've never been to Celtic Park. and I'd, I'd love Ooh. to go to, uh, oh, to a Glasgow okay. derby there. Nice one. I saw Celtic Man City in Pep Guardiola's first season uh, at City. And it was they'd won their first 10 games and then they drew 3-3 at Celtic. And it was the best atmosphere I've ever experienced at really? any ground. It was properly bouncing. Yeah, I remember going to see Celtic Fulham at Craven Cottage and the Celtic fans singing You Only Drink White Wine to the Fulham, <laughs> Fulham supporters, which was good. It's good. Very nice. Okay. Very nice. Right, time to get the odds on the Premier League weekend. Here's producer Ben in conversation with Paddy Power. Thank you, Jim Bowen listeners. I know you're just as excited as I am to be hearing from Lee Price from Paddy Power, as we always do at this time of the show. Lee, let's start with the big Liverpool v Chelsea game. Give us the overall here and the first goal scorer markets, please. Well, a big obstacle for Liverpool, but they've got one of those of their own in defence. And they're still the favourites for this. They're 4-7 to seven with Chelsea 9-2 to two after their lads trip to Prague. While Mohamed Salah has rediscovered his scoring boots and also top spot in our goal scorer betting, he's even money to score any time with the first six players in that market, Liverpool stars. The best rated Chelsea player is not Mr. Fire, Eden Hazard, but the misfiring Gonzalo Higuain. Curious. Palace, of course, went to the Etihad and beat City earlier on in the season. What are the markets saying for them repeating that at Selhurst Park? Yeah, I think it's going to be tough, this one. I think City have got just as difficult a game as Liverpool have this weekend. I know a lot's been made of the fact that Palace are much better away from home than at home, but surely for this one, they'll set up on the counter-attack. They do like a decisive role in the title race, Palace. They're 17-2 to to beat City here, or 4-1 to to get the draw. Guardiola's men haven't been totally convinced recently, but they have shuffled their pack and should be refreshed. They're 1-4 to to get the three points. Harry Kane is out of the Huddersfield game, which is a shame because I thought he'd get a hat-trick in this one. He's also probably out for the season. What's that doing for the top scorer markets? Yeah, obviously we're still waiting on the extent of Harry Kane's injury, but it sounds like it's the rest of the season and his odds obviously have drifted worse than Tottenham's title challenge. He's now 14-1 to to finish the Premier League top scorer. Aguero currently leads the way, but he doesn't seem fully fit himself. He's 6-5 to to win the Golden Boot. He's one goal ahead of Mo Salah, who's 23-10. to Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang's goal further back and 11-2, while Sadio Mane has scored the same number of times as the Gabonese international, but it's 9-1. Could that be the value? You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com. All prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's 18 plus only. BeGambleAware.org. And when the fun stops, stop. By the way, if further down in non-league football you were entertained by the outrage tweet from Streatham Rovers, who'd seen the team sheet of their rival Sydenham, Sydenham had put their players on the team sheet to spell what? S-R-F-C-R shit. Right. This was a quite a major story around... It, it was picked up by some major outlets, yes, but of course uh, Streatham Rovers FC are a fictional club set up by a, a reportedly a disenfranchised Dulwich Hamlet supporter really? who didn't like the fact that Dulwich had gone all hipster, so he set up this account, which has 9,000 followers, but um, those those big outlets who picked up the story missed the, uh, the clue in their Twitter bio uh, where it states they are proud members of the Exterminate Rat Poison League. Right. So Sydenham's 3-1 win in this game, That where does that count, Porter? Uh, it doesn't, because it didn't happen. <laughs> didn't happen. Wow. Line between fact and fiction. So very blurred. Just gonna say, don't disaffect a, a Dulwich Hamlet supporter, because who knows what will happen. Nice one. Well, that's it then for today's Totally Football Show. Matt, enjoy the game this evening against Slavia Praha. Thanks, I'll try. Tom, thank you so much for being with us. My pleasure. And enjoy that playlist. Oh, I will. And James, what what fixture are you off to next? Arsenal Napoli. Are you going straight there this evening? Yeah. Brilliant. You don't stop. <laughs> That's brilliant. Excellent. Well, listen, we don't stop either. We'll be back on Monday with our reaction to all the latest footballing delights. Hope to be speaking to you then. Have a great weekend. 
You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, email sales at muddykneesmedia.com and don't forget to check out our other football podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and everywhere else you get your audio on demand. Supporting your team can be a beautiful thing, but then come the injuries, the goal droughts and the downright disastrous defeats. That's a little bit like life, really. And here at the Totally Football Show, we believe we should all support each other the way we support our team, through the good days and the bad. And that's why we're continuing to work with Calm, the campaign against living miserably, a charity dedicated to preventing male suicide. On average, 12 men take their own life every day in the UK. So that's your starting 11 and your manager every single day. And part of the problem is that many of us still feel uncomfortable talking about mental health and suicide, and this can often stop men from opening up and getting support when they need it the most. So if you're worried that someone close to you is having a tough time, check in with them and let them know that Calm is there. Every day from 5pm till midnight, Calm provide a free, confidential and anonymous helpline and web chat for any man who needs support. Visit thecalmzone.net to find out more about Calm.